Happy Hump Day, bingers. This week on True Crime Binge, I've got two great guests for you. You know her from her wonderful podcast, Unjust and Unsolved. And today, she's here to talk about her latest project. She's Maggie Freeling, and she's the host of the new podcast, Suave. And she's joined by the producer of Suave, Julieta Martinelli. This is a great conversation, and I think you're going to love it. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. So how are you ladies? Awesome. I'm happy to see Maggie. I haven't seen Maggie in a while. <laughs> I'm very it's excited. facilitating your guys' reunion. Yes, thank you. Yes, yes. It's a great reunion. Bob, thank you for, for reuniting us. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, and so, so Ma- I've known Maggie for a while, but Julieta, this is the first time we've met. So nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. I'm excited to be here. Maggie, I, I want to point out if anybody is interested in some of Maggie's other work, I had her on season nine of Truth and Justice talking about her other podcast, Unjust and Unsolved, mm-hmm. uh, which is fantastic. Uh, I don't remember what episode number it was in season nine, but uh, we talked about uh, Charles Erickson, right? We talked about Charles Erickson, and then I had you on my podcast, and we talked about Jamie Snow. Right. So we just take turns once a month. I'm on your show. <laughs> you're on my show. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so I saw, you know, I just saw on social media that you were launching this new podcast, Suave. So, of course, immediately I reached out and said, come on and talk about it. Be, I hadn't even listened yet when I saw it, when I saw it out there and asked you guys to come on. Have you listened now? <laughs> I have since listened okay. to every episode. The I binged question. them all in one day. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, oh, and the, this is the worst. You guys are assholes, first of all, uh, with the way you left. So people are going to hear. I'm gonna, this episode will air next week. Uh, but for for when you're listening to this, we recorded this last Monday, which is the day before episode five of Suave drops. Mm-hmm. So where I'm at right now is I just finished episode four, which leaves us on the biggest cliffhanger ever. And I'm it just is. like trying to figure out. I'm like, there's there's got to be a way to <laughs> hear the next episode now. No. Like, I know what? everyone on social media is very mad right now. They're like, how dare you leave us with that cliffhanger? <laughs> Oh, so can I, well, let me first, let me get to know Julieta a little bit and talk about your guys' relationship. And then we'll, yeah. we'll get into the, the podcast a little bit because, uh, as I said, this is my first time meeting Julieta and the first time hearing you was on, on the, on the podcast. So what is it you do and how were you like connected to Suave? I know it's explained in the podcast, but for anybody that hasn't listened to it yet, like how did all of this come to be? Yeah. I'm like Maggie's like silent, uh, silent partner. <laughs> Well, she really, I mean, she really is a huge driving force. Like, yes, you hear me and Maria, but I mean, there is a 0% chance this thing would have been made without Julieta. I mean, when this was handed, and obviously I'll let Jay talk, but like when when this was handed to me, it was like just endless hour. I mean, Julieta, like what, like close to a thousand hours of just audio that was like a mess. It was handed to me in 2018. And um, we had no concept of it. 
you know, I'd seen, I'd been working at Latino USA since 2015. And just even since 2015, just watching Maria do all these interviews with this guy, Suave. That's all we knew. Some guy in prison named Suave. So anyway, 2018, I get all this audio handed to me. Maria's like, I want you to produce whatever this is going to be. And I was like, great. Um, I need help. I need an assistant. I need an AP. I need somebody who's going to just help me with this tape. And that was the idea. And when I met Julieta, it was like a p- complete love story. I fell in love with her. She has a criminal <laughs> justice background, public radio backgrounds, like everything that I love. And we just vibed immediately. I mean, we literally look the same. We had the nails, the makeup. It was like, this is my girl right here. And I brought her on. And she was so much more than just someone who organized tape. So we became co-producers. Um, so I'll, I'll let Julieta take it from there. But that's oh. how that's how we got her. Maggie. Oh. <laughs> Julieta, you were, I mean, by listening to this, you were already in the process of recording all these interviews and developing this relationship with Suave before this, right? Or am I wrong about that? Maria was. Maria was. So um, Maria Hinojosa is, is um, the one who's doing all the recording and, and has the relationship with Suave. I was brought in to, to work with Maggie and basically shape a story out of this. You know, like, okay. like Maggie mentioned, like there were thousands of hours of tape and you know, Maggie has started going through it. And, you know, like she says, she really, she realized like that, this is not a one, one person job. I mean, this is some crazy stuff. Right. Um, so I, I had been reporting on criminal justice and incarcerated people for public radio. And so Maggie sort of invited me in and we ended up, you know, becoming partners and, and working on producing together. So we wrote, we, you know, we, Listened to hours and hours of tape and, and came up we with... We got chased through the streets of Philadelphia by gang members. <laughs> that, I don't, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't think you got to that episode no. yet. And it's probably not as dramatic as it really was in real life. But we thought our lives were flashing in front of our eyes, like, for real. Yeah. yeah. It got crazy. That's one thing that I'll say. <laughs> Go ahead, Maggie. Yeah. No, Bob. Why, just want to know, why, why were you being chased down the street by gang members? Well, so part of the podcast is like, yes, it's this beautiful story of this relationship between Maria and Suave. But while we were working on it, and Bob, you might be familiar with the name Roger King. Mm-hmm. He was a completely corrupt prosecutor in Philadelphia. There are so many wrongful convictions under his belts. Um, at, at least five have already been exonerated. So Suave was prosecuted under Roger King. And so we initially were like some, you know, we're going through court transcripts, we're matching up what they're saying. And it became an actual investigation where we got on the ground in Philadelphia to try and track down some key players from that night. And um, the second half of this turns into a proper whodunit investigation. So we found ourselves in some pretty scary situations. Well, you know, that was one thing I was going to ask is is where the podcast is going. So as I listen to it, and first of all, I feel like an idiot because, <laughs> you know, I, I had spoken to you, Maggie, about the podcast before I listened to it. And you told me, so I want to make sure I have Julieta on with me. Um, she's a huge part of this and has taken it in. <laughs> For some reason, I heard Julieta was on it and somehow missed the names on the – I thought it was you, Julieta, that was talking to no. Suave through this. So this this was something completely <laughs> She's not that young different. looking from having been in prison in 1995. I mean, she's <laughs> – <laughs> I, I, was I wasn't going to say anything, but I, when I saw you on the Zoom, I was like, good Lord, you look amazing. She's got great, great doctors. <laughs> Julieta has great doctors. <laughs> 
No, so it was Maria who develops the relationship with Suave. So she's the one who just like jumped all this tape in my lap and was like, uh, figure out a story. And I was that's when I was like, I need help and brought on Julieta. Okay. So, and so Julieta, you've helped produce this this whole thing. Yes. And it's 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 such an interesting concept because as I start listening to it, besides the fact that I thought it was you talking, Julieta, and not, <laughs> <laughs> not Maria. I'm sure Maria's name was said many times that I missed. But besides that, it was like I was listening to this captivating story and then thinking like, this is different than anything I've ever heard because I don't know where this is going. I don't know. Like, like when you set out to make the podcast, both of you, like what was your your mission? Was it just to tell a story? It sounds like it becomes uh, an actual investigation of who done yeah. it. Like what was the plan? I think that was the problem. Like, so for me, I had known of Suave since 2015 when I started there. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was still in prison. He hadn't been released yet. So 2017, right, Julieta, he gets released. Yeah. And that's when Maria was like, oh, my God, this is something. This is something like, I don't know what it is, but this man who was supposed to die in prison is now out. And we have to keep following his story. So the following year, I kept following his story. and um. You know, that's when I brought Julieta on, I think, a couple months after that. And we had no idea what it was. I mean, we didn't um, we didn't know. I mean, I, I, did, I will admit to this day, like, I doubted Maria. I was like, I just don't know what the story is. Like, sure, this guy's in prison and then he gets out. But, like, I just didn't see it. And I think so many of us didn't see it. Like, our executive producer, Marlon, we all just didn't know. We did not know. And I think it was really when we brought Julieta on and started digging and saw, you know, how the system really screwed these kids in the 80s and how much of that um, affects people today and is still affecting people, particularly in these lower income neighborhoods, that we started realizing there was something here that we needed to talk about. It's very timely for me right now because in our season 10 case on truth and justice that we just started, we're only four episodes into that right yeah. now. It's a it's a similar case mm -hmm. to what sounds like uh, Suave's case was, where what she's convicted of, personally, I believe she's completely innocent, yeah. but even if she's guilty of what they say she did, what she was convicted of, Jennifer Jeffley in our season 10, she was 15 and mm -hmm. was was convicted of essentially having two older, older guys that convince her to be a lookout in a robbery, and then they end up killing a woman they never catch the guy. She ends up serving life in prison at 15 years old. Yeah. And it's and, it, and there's there's like all these layers to that story. And I think that's one of the reasons I was so hooked into this story immediately yeah. to see where this goes. Because, you know, like in her case, she's she's an African-American you know, young teenager in a lower income area and was in a lower income family, you know, a struggling, struggling family. And she's a juvenile who gets life mm -hmm. in prison. So it's, you know. Should she have life in prison? Was, and she hasn't been affected by any of the changes in the juvenile um, mandatory life without paroles? Not yet. Okay. What um, state is she it, in? She's in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, We're both like, oh. It, it yeah. may end up coming around. That's one of the things that we're looking into with, you know, as, as we're moving forward with the season is could, the, could those, those mandatory life sentence juvenile mm -hmm. um, sentencing laws affect her? But also, I don't know that she was that she was in the mandatory life sentence mm. category. That's um, she was just given a life sentence mm. for what she did for what she did. 
But anyway, that's season 10 of Truth and Justice, that little bit's for free, listeners. Um, <laughs> I know I haven't started yet. I have to, but I was definitely fascinated that you're covering a woman. So I'm very excited for that. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really interesting story. And so that's why, you know, Suave's story caught my attention. So he's he was convicted at, what, what he was 17? He was a little older when he was convicted, but the crime oh, happened when he, when when he was 17. Was yeah. And I, I just wanted to add to what Maggie said. I mean, I completely agree with her. I also think one of the story that we kind of set out to tell was something that was more three-dimensional, you know, that, that didn't just like paint incarcerated mm-hmm. um, people in, in, in one light and, and really took into account like all the complexities, right, of what it was to be someone growing up in the South Bronx and the Badlands and, and mm-hmm. the things that Suave dealt with as a kid. But as Maggie said, I mean, sometimes the story kind of unravels as, as you're, you're putting it together. And there were so many surprises. There were so many surprises so many. for us. That we we didn't expect to tell the story that we're telling in this podcast. I think yeah. that we can agree on that. Is the is the surprise? I don't even want to give it away, but is the surprise at the end of episode four? Did that happen as you guys were already in production? Yeah, on this, it wasn't like that. It already happened. You were able to build it into a story arc. Like that happened in yeah, real time she, as you're yeah. at the end of the episode four. You hear her call me and say, "Maggie Suave's back in yeah. prison." Like I was already involved at that point. That was. What, who had a 2018? 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the end of 2018, she called me. Um, so I was already, you know, working on the story, thinking, what are we doing? What are we doing? And um, that really put a shift in what this story was, because you'll, you'll hear in the next episode, um, we go a lot into parole. And that really mm-hmm. became a focus of this story, even though he's out. He's still on lifetime parole. And what does that mean for somebody? And and that was really important to how we crafted the story. In in the way you crafted the story, as, as I said, being so unique, I, I really loved your – because you, know, you have all this tape, right, from Maria talking to Suave, and then you hear from Suave a lot, and then there's these interjections where now, then you're talking to Maria – about uh, you know, kind of interviewing her about things, and and you asked some tough questions to her. Yes. Like I was, I was, I was like, oh, go Maggie. When, <laughs> you know, when, yeah, because they got they got very close. They they yeah. It, it seemed as though definitely crossed a line yeah. as a journalist with a source. And I just loved it when you when you just called her, you know, just called her out on it. Yeah. Like, wait I a think, minute. Julieta, were you there? Was that, did you record that conversation where it was me, Maria, and Suave in, in the, the in the booth? Yeah. That was an incredible conversation to, first of all, that's what you hear in the opening episode of Suave actually having a panic attack walking into the recording booth um, mm-hmm. because it was literally the size of a jail cell, prison cell. Right. So he was freaking out. That was definitely your first time meeting him, Julieta. I think that was maybe my second time meeting him. Yeah, and we just had so many questions. I mean, me and Julieta just had so many questions, you know, what is this relationship? And I think that was kind of the story we set out to tell. And then we just realized that's just one of the layers because there were so many layers to all of it. But it was so important for Maggie to ask those questions too, because we knew that people were gonna, going to raise those questions, you know? And we, we were mm-hmm. having those questions. Ours, like We found ourselves, like Maggie and I would have these conversations like about Maria and Suave's relationship. And then we're like, all right, this ha- I mean, yeah, this has to be a part of it because people are going to ask. And I do think like Maggie brings that sort of like um, voice of reason, right? Sometimes when, when it gets very emotional because Maria is very involved with Suave, 
um, I really appreciate that Maggie kind of comes in and really puts things in perspective for us when it gets a little a little intense. Well, yeah, Maria was not happy to not <laughs> be the the host of yeah. the story. I mean, this is her story. This was her baby. I mean, she's been working on mm-hmm. it since 95. But we said to her, you cannot be the narrator. You are so unreliable because of your relationship with him. I'm sorry, but I'm looking you in the eyes as your producer and telling you, you are a character in this. You are not the storyteller. Right. And I think we all realized that was probably the best decision for the podcast, because I think that also adds another layer. Well, for sure it does. Well, And also it gives the opportunity for you to introduce you who are a fantastic journalist and always ask those tough questions and are in or just like the toughest tiny little woman that I've ever met. Maria's (laughs) Maria's tinier than I am too. That's true. (laughs) We just have a team of like tiny little badass women. It's kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like like Julieta was saying as I was listening. So I because you know I fall into this weird space as you know the the fireman become podcaster guy who. I, I as I'm learning over you know ten seasons of doing Truth and Justice, like well, also I'm starting to learn over time like about these like journalistic standards. It's like, but I'm not a journalist, but I guess I'm kind of playing one on the radio. Yeah. So maybe I kind of am a journalist. I don't know. No, I don't think anybody still knows what uh, podcasters are that do investigative <laughs> work yeah. like this. But but I have certainly formed very close relationships with the subjects of my podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I've over over time and, and as, as the seasons have gone on, I've I've tried to not do that as much. Number one, it's really hard on me. I'm you know, when you're when you're fighting to get somebody out of prison, and you know as well as I do how hard of a fight that yeah. is and how long of a process it is. Um, so there's just it's emotionally draining. But then also it's hard to be objective. You know, in the case I'm covering now, Jennifer Jeffley's case, I don't know if she's innocent or guilty. I think she's innocent, but I have to present the truth as I find it. Mm. And if if you become to the point where you know this, she, if if she becomes my buddy, like Ed Eights was my buddy back in season two, and still are, we're still very close friends. And thankfully, he was he was released. It's like, well, then what happens when you know I find a document that that looks bad for her? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you yeah. have this you know struggle. Well, do I report on this? Well, I have to report on this. But that's my friend. So 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 for me, being always being in that weird situation and never quite knowing how to do my job properly. Hearing her, that was my first thought. Was like, oh, but, but they said she's like a real journalist. She's she's got rules. She shouldn't be doing this. And yeah. then you called her on it, not in a mean way, but I mean, at least you no, know, required think, her to answer for that. I think, um, and I think we are in this age where there are questions about you know what is the role of a journalist now. And we did have these discussions, but you know, for sure, in the work that we're doing, like Julieta just helped get somebody out of prison. What was his name? Uh, Joseph Webster. Joseph Webster. He was exonerated in Tennessee. Thank you. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's why I love her because we were both just like into this work. (laughs) Um, But, you know, yeah, I think now I do become friends with the people whose stories that I tell. And I think, you know, Maria was the first journalist that let me see that that was okay. And there certainly is a line, you know, I'm not promising them anything. I'm not, you know, Mm -hmm. paying them. I mean, they're very clear that I, you know, have to tell the story the way it is and what the facts show. But I feel like that doesn't mean that I can't be, I wouldn't say friend, but like be um, emotionally intimate with this person in that sense, like have an emotional relationship because that's the best way to, I think, get information and actually get to the truth and show that humanity. And that's what I've always heard about Unjust and Unsolved is that, you know, 
it's so different in the sense that I get these intimate conversations with them because uh-huh. I am vulnerable to them as well. I'm not just like, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. Like, we right. really get involved. Um, and Maria taught me that. And that is a skill that I certainly learned from her. But yeah, I mean, in the next episode, you'll hear she really definitely has her biases towards Suave and towards things that happen in his life. You know, he's he is her golden boy. And I, I mm-hmm. think there's things that happen that she didn't believe could happen. And Julieta and I were like, well, maybe it did happen. Right. And, and that's nice that you guys have those layers to be like those kind of checks and balances in there to make sure the story comes out. I do want to circle back because, you know, I, we kind of we kind of I got so I'm so interested in the case that I kind of skipped over your background <laughs> a little bit, Julieta. But uh, I just you just as you just said, uh, Maggie, you helped exonerate somebody. What, so let's go back to that. What do you do? How did that happen? And what do you do for a living besides help produce Suave? Uh, I don't know. I'm crazy. Um, I I mean, I was reporting on criminal justice for a public radio station down in Tennessee. And a few years ago, I started profiling. I did a, a series on a man named Matthew Charles. And his name may sound familiar. Um, he was the first person to be released as a result of the First Step Act. And after him, you know, after nearly 2,000, 2,500 people came. What happened was I, I profiled him. Somehow my stories got in the hands of Kim Kardashian and she shared it and it mm-hmm. went super viral. And then all of a sudden this like great legal team appeared and started working with his lawyers and they used the series, the, the series that, um, that we profiled him to talk to senators and to urge them to pass the First Step Act. So It ended up passing first big criminal justice reform bill in a very, very long time. And Matthew became the first person released. And so that was really incredible. Um, It was my first sort of big, uh, I would say like there's a lot of disappointment as a, as someone who writes about people in prison, the the majority of the time, Mm -hmm. right? Like it, you know, this, like you'll spend a lot of time um, writing these stories and, and trying to help people get out or trying to show the truth about somebody's case and nothing will happen. So Matthew was, it took almost three years, um, but he got out. And then shortly after Matthew, I started reporting. I, so I do investigative journalism and I started reporting on a um, conviction review unit, right? That, you know, they're like being touted as like the most progressive thing, all these district attorneys that are going back and willingly opening cases. And so I started investigating a review unit in Tennessee that had been around for three years, but had reinvestigated zero cases. And so Mm -hmm. eventually what happened is we were able to get them to reopen, to agree to reopen the case of a man named Joseph Webster, who was serving a life sentence for murder, had been in almost two decades. And two years later, his, um, they agreed and they, I mean, they agreed that they were wrong and they exonerated him. And so I traveled to Tennessee at the end of November and was there for the first week. I was there the night that he got out and I got to hang out with him and his family and his kids and really like document that. And we're putting that together for Latino USA. So there's an episode coming up about that. Um, but yeah, I, I write about people in prison. And I, I also, uh, <laughs> I spent a year on and off in shelters in Mexico with a caravan, walking with a caravan and um, writing about the, the migrant experience. I just really love, love people. And I really love underdogs. Um, and I think that's why Maggie and I just clicked immediately from the first moment we met because we we have a lot in common. I think we love a lot of the same things. Yeah. And hate a lot That's of the incredible. same things. That's incredible work. Congratulations Thank on you. that. I mean, I, I was able to experience that once being at the prison gates when someone is released and then spending time with them. And it's, 
And that, and that goes right back to what we were talking about earlier, Maggie, about that the relationship you have mm-hmm. with. And as you said, I think in this particular kind of work, and I think that's why I struggle so much, is I'm trying to really stay unbiased and tell a story, yeah. but I need to have these conversations with the people in prison. And when you're having conversations with somebody in prison, it's so difficult not to end up with an emotional attachment to them, especially because it's it's coming so hard from their end to you. Mm-hmm. You know, just to have somebody to talk, speak to on the phone every day, and aside from that, somebody who is is trying to help them and somebody who's telling them story, telling their story. I just find that it, it just always feels like when you're helping someone, they're calling you. They're just they're reaching out. They want a friend yeah. when they reach out, and then I always I always end up going down that road. I actually did one season where I was really. Really not sure one way or the other. Really? Usually I have wow. a pretty good idea, but I really wasn't sure one way or the other if they're innocent or guilty. And I never spoke to her, not once, because I couldn't. Wow. It, it, was, it was just, it, it was a tragic case. It was our season eight case. She ended up passing away of COVID in oh, prison no. before oh. I could speak to her. Which case was this? That was the Deb Perringer case out, mm. of, um, out, of, out of Fort Worth. Right. Uh, it was one we were doing last, last yeah. summer. And, but I just wanted, you know, there, there's, there's like three phases of a truth and justice season. The first phase is let's, investigate the case and determine if there was a wrongful conviction here before we move into, you know, an investigative phase from there, the kind of who done it. And I wanted to I decided to get through that first phase first before I started contacting before I started reaching out to her. It's really smart. We were just getting there and then we got word that she passed away and so we never we never made it to phase two of that particular case. Did you ever come to a conclusion on how you felt about the case? When, well, when, yeah, when we stopped the case, I, I never came to a hard conclusion, but I, where I was at at that moment was that I think that there is a very high likelihood that, that she was wrongfully convicted. Mm. The trouble with her case was there was some physical evidence that certainly indicated that she did do, that she did commit the crime, but then there was a lot of circumstantial evidence that indicated not only that she didn't, but that she couldn't have mm. committed the crime. But it, that, that's it's it was one of those cases where it was just she was at her parents' house that day and did a number of things and she had an explanation for why her fingerprints were here and her blood was here and this was here, you know she cut her finger doing dishes. It's one of those cases where it just seemed like, what are the odds all that happened on yeah. the same day yeah. somebody came in and brutally murdered I do murdered find people cutting their fingers doing dishes. You hear it all the time is. <laughs> So interesting. I'm like, I've truly never cut my finger doing dishes, and I do a lot of dishes. <laughs> I always find that to be a really interesting excuse. Um, right. It happened. And it, it was exactly that, where it was like, ah, that is an explanation. But, yeah. you know, I, I always have that kind of what are the odds question. Hey, but it happens, right? It does happen. Right? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Sometimes, like, the most random thing, you're like, there's no way this is real, but... That's what happened. <laughs> I actually, it yeah. made me well, think and, and of, so, um, oh, go ahead, Bob. I was going to say, so you imagine this case where you have parents are brutally murdered in the home, and then you have the daughter who we know had been there, and she's got her fingerprints there, and, and more importantly, her blood there in key places. Everything screams guilty, 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 except for we, what, through our investigation, we figured out that the murders didn't happen until, I don't remember the details, but it was like the murders didn't happen until at least noon. Mm-hmm. and. All the witness statements seem to show that she had left at 11 and was, you know, at CC's Pizza eating on the other side of town at the time it happened. Mm. So that that was the kind of the conundrum we were in. And then, yeah. like I said, of course, she passed away. But, you know, one thing that I didn't, I don't think you guys got into, at least in the first four episodes of, of Suave's case, is I got the impression that, and there was enough detail there to, to kind of piece together that he must have been involved in some sort of gang shooting of a 13-year-old. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, was that right? But I, I don't know if I just missed the details or you know didn't catch them, or if they just weren't given yet. But you know, was he the the trigger man in that in that incident? Um, he was convicted for being the trigger man. Yes. Um, okay. We definitely get into it in the next few episodes. What? It's your own four. There's three more episodes, Lita. Yeah. So yeah, we definitely. What is it? Episode six. We get into it. Yeah. Epi- I think episode six is one Bob's really going to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> episode oh. episode, well, episode six, six is when you hear us running drop for the day our before lives. this drops. Really? Yeah, yeah. So the so the so the day people hear this uh, on Wednesday the tenth, I think episode six of of Suave will have dropped yesterday. Oh, so can we talk about it, or do you Ooh. not want spoilers, Bob? <laughs> Ooh, I will sacrifice. <laughs> it's you spoiling this for me, so that the listeners because they're gonna they're gonna want to hear it. So. Okay, spoiler alert if you haven't listened to all of this and uh go ahead spoil episode 6 for me. What am I what what do we have coming? Well, here's what I won't spoil for you. We we won't tell you why he goes back to prison. That comes in the next episode that you're going to hear tomorrow. Um Okay. I I won't spoil that for you, but we looked into Suave's case and like I said, because we knew the prosecutor was dirty. And this was a lot of Julieta, you know, digging digging through documents. This is when I was kind of storyboarding and working with the editor to come up with, you know, what is the story we're telling? Julieta was really doing a lot of the FOIAs and diving into the documents. She's the document expert, and she starts seeing these inconsistencies in the case. This is a Roger King case. Nothing that man has ever prosecuted should ever be taken at face value. So that was a red flag immediately. And we start questioning Suave, like, Suave, did you do this? Did you do this? And Julieta can take it from there, but um we really felt he did not do this. And he kept saying he did. And we do not think that he did it. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the first few episodes, he doesn't seem to be denying no. that he did it at all. No. Yeah. But he, you have to also remember, right? Like, because that's what we were thinking for a while. And then we started like looking at the documents, right? Like the trial transcripts. And then like we were trying to get the police reports. We couldn't get our hands on them. Like there were a lot of things that were weird. And then you have to remember, like, for Suave to get out, Uh, parole requires that you take responsibility. That is a mandatory step. And so Suave couldn't really come out and say, oh, well, you know what? I didn't do this because he is on lifetime parole. So anything, again, Mm -hmm. like anything that he does can can put him back in prison. So we had our questions about how reliable Suave was as a narrator as well. That was also, you know, something that came up for us as we started looking at the case. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there is this moment, I mean, I don't want to spoil it too much, but there is a moment where you have we to. Go- <laughs> I don't want to be the one where we go back to the Badlands. Um, and, and, and we take, I mean, this was like a really emotional moment. You know, we're back at the crime scene. And really what we wanted was a run through of what happened so that we could clear up our questions and, you know, tell the story correctly. And then Suave kind of drops a bomb on us in the middle of, of the Badlands. And we just kind of like, wait, what just happened? And so it kind of like opens a can of worms and we go back and really start like, okay, we got to find some of the witnesses, right? Like we got to talk to somebody else that was there that wasn't Suave and see what they tell us. And that's kind of why Maggie and I end up running around in the Badlands, you know, 30 years after this this crime happened, um, trying to find these witnesses. But also like it was really important for us that we find the victim's family. You know, we, mm-hmm. uh, the more, the more that we like started writing and worked on this, we were like, you know, we have to find the victim's family. We need to give them an opportunity 
you know, to tell us how they feel. We need to give them an opportunity to, to speak their piece. Um, and so part of that investigation also was like, okay, this kid died 30 years ago. We don't have a lot of information about him. Where is his family? That whole scene got cut out too. I think it got cut yeah. out. We went to the cemetery to see if we can backtrack, you know, who buried him, what address is on here. I mean, Bob, you know, going back 30 years to investigate a case, so many people are dead, so many people have moved. Right. It was really, really tough. But yeah, Suave, you know, got so emotional when he realized, you know, we were really questioning him like, okay, so this was here and this was here. And he broke down and was like, you're right. I've, I, I, I didn't do it. I've just been telling this story because, you know, code of the streets, I, you know, I, I took a hit. And then, you know, you'll find out, we won't spoil it too much, who he took the hit for, why he took the hit. Um, and it really all comes back to being a kid growing up in this lifestyle and the corruption in the... Suave took the hit because he thought he was going to go in for five years and get out. And likely that would have happened if the um, people in power hadn't changed right then. He, he likely would have gotten out in five years because of the corruption and who was paying off who in Philadelphia back then. I, I seriously got chills when you guys were just explaining that and that I can't wait to get to that moment in the podcast. And I, I don't I don't want to spoil it anymore because now, <laughs> yeah. I can't wait till tomorrow morning to listen to episode five and then next week to episode six. And then you all listeners are going to hear this. And then you said the series is a total of seven episodes. So there'll be one more next week. Yeah, yeah there's one more. I did want to, you know, kind of say Maggie and I made a, like a conscious decision not to to let the listener make a decision on how they feel you know this wasn't this isn't like a huge um you know we're investigating his crime for 10 episodes i think maggie and i have our own our own opinions of what happened and i think the evidence points to us kind of clearly in one way but i do think it's you know it is kind of like an open end and we're like very curious to see how people will will sort of what they'll feel about the 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 facts that we present mhm and Suave was very adamant. Um, he doesn't even know this is coming yet. So we're actually bracing ourselves for him being really upset because he did not want to talk about the fact that someone else could have done this and not him because he doesn't want any, you know, not that it would happen. I really don't see them reopening this case 30 years later. Um, but he did not want that to happen. He did not want someone else, the person that we kind of believe did it, to go down and do time like he did. He does not want that. So he is not fully aware <laughs> that we we go this route yet. So we need to talk with him. Right now he's happy, but I don't know if he's going to be happy. Yeah, there's been a lot of sleepless nights. Like, <laughs> we're not going to lie. Like, Maggie, we ha how many versions of this episode have there been? Maybe like 10, 12, over like eight or nine. It's This is the episode that has gotten redone so many times because we're struggling with that. Like, we're struggling with like being journalists and like, okay, here's the facts. We have to put them out. And Suave's desire to not speak about those things. Um, so it's, you know, I'm struggling to, with how I feel about it. I'm not going to lie. Um, and I am very scared about Suave's uh, reaction and his feeling. Um, but, you know, there is, again, that, that complication. There's so many layers, right? Like, there's Maria's journalist relationship. But then Maggie and I are, like, also trying to define what it means for us to, to be journalists telling the story. But to also, you know, want to have Suave's back and, and want to want him to be seen for who he is um, or not seen for, for what he didn't do, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated. 
Wow. Well, I am fascinated already with what I have heard. I can't wait to hear uh, the next coming few episodes. And uh, for all of you listeners, this is Maggie Freeling and Julieta Martinelli. Did I say yes, that right? Yes, you did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got a call from I got a call from Patrick Hines today because he's doing the promo for Suave, and he's like, "How do I say Maria's last name?" He's like, <laughs> I, "I'm I'm going." Hi, Genosa. And I'm like, no, that Patrick, no, no. that's not it. <laughs> he calls me like nine o'clock this morning. I could just hear Patrick <laughs> trying to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. I had to send him like a pronouncer. I'm like, come on, Patrick. Um, <laughs> but yes, Bob, you did great. <laughs> Their names are Maggie Freeling and Julieta Martinelli. The podcast is Suave. Definitely check it out. I'm sure that it's going to be your next big true crime binge. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank Bob. you, Bob. True Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, Please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.